My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue through the Word of God and today we are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 to 15 today and just a reminder that if you had a chance to uh, like, uh, comment, subscribe and share to, to any of these videos, no matter where you see them, uh, please do that. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, podcast, share the podcast. Uh, YouTube is where I have all the playlists. So if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, and I always have the links in descriptions uh, everywhere, even on the podcast, the, the links are there. Uh, there's always an opportunity for you to be able to go to my YouTube channel and follow all the particular uh, videos uh, in playlists, books of the Bible. Uh, but you can also do that on the podcast uh, just uh, as well, if that's what you prefer to do. So today we're looking at Matthew chapter 10, which is the commissioning, the sending of the 12 disciples and let's get straight into it. When he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, remember, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Matthew, tax collector, brothers. Lebaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, which is who he went by. Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, the main feature of this list, if you were to look at it, is it's a very diverse list. Jesus chose his disciples from a very wide variety of backgrounds, life experiences, and really the only thing they had in common was that none of them actually came from very privileged backgrounds uh, or a high status, which is, you know, probably very much in the, 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 the spirit, I guess, of, we should read it actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 26. Uh, for you see that, you, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And I think that was reflected in uh, Jesus' choosing of his disciples. What does he do? He gives them power. So he calls them to himself and then he says, I'm going to give you power to uh, have over unclean spirits, cast them out, heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of deals, disease. Jesus didn't just call them. He gave them the power to do what he called them to do. The same principle is very true for you and for I. If God calls us, then he equips us. It's his responsibility. And the equipping may not always be evident before your ministry actually begins, but it will be evident as you start and as you get into it. The problem is that most people want to wait until they actually have total confidence. The disciples had that because Jesus said, now, this is what I want you to go and do. The 12, uh, accepting Judas, of course, because he took his own life after the betrayal of Jesus. The 12, uh, the 11 that are left, actually have an important place in God's plan of redemption. In other words, their work is not actually done yet. 
including particular roles in the future judgment. In Matthew chapter 19, we're going to go through that. But also in the founding of the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. But also the Bible promises their position and work will be remembered through eternity in Revelation chapter 21. So they have a job to do uh, when it comes to actually judging the 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 time of of uh, Jesus coming back and judging the earth, they will have a role to play in that. The, this actual group of eleven people, and it's the first uh, and only time that the disciples are actually called apostles is here, and the word apostle means simply the one who is sent out. And Jesus actually was called an apostle in Hebrews chapter three, considered the apostle and high priest of our confession. But Paul also used the term apostle in a more narrow sense, which when he referred to the 12, the disciples, and also to himself and his own special dispensation that he received and they did receive. And he talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 15, Galatians chapter 1 as well. Now, there are four different lists within the disciples. Uh, here, in Matthew chapter 10, but also in Mark chapter 3, Luke chapter 6, Acts chapter 1. And in these lists, when the disciples are always listed, Peter is always listed first and Judas is always listed last. The two pairs of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John uh, and, and uh, Matthew and, and James, his brother, they're always listed uh, in the same order and the lists are always arranged in the same way. They were arranged in three groups of four, and each group of four had a leader. So in each list, Peter is mentioned first, followed by Andrew, James, and John. Then Philip is always mentioned fifth, followed by Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew. And then each list, James, the son of Alphaeus, who is Matthew's brother, is mentioned ninth, and he's followed by Thaddeus, uh, Judas, brother of James, Simon the, Je- the Zealot, and Judas. Okay, so Thaddeus was also called Judas as well uh, in some instances. Now, Spurgeon said this, The apostolic number fitly represents the 12 tribes of Israel, and for practical purposes, the 12 form a workable band of leaders, a sufficient jury, and a competent company of witnesses. Uh, now, let's talk about uh, Bartholomew and Nathaniel. Uh, let's just clarify some confusion to do with them. Uh, Bartholomew is often identified with Nathaniel of John in John chapter 1 and John chapter 21. Uh, Adam Clark said this, Many are of the opinion that this was Nathaniel, whose name was probably Nathaniel Bar-Talmai. Nathaniel, the son of Talmai, here his own name is repressed, and he is called Bar-Talmai or Bartholomew from his father. Uh, now, they're called disciples in Matthew 10, verse 1, and they're called apostles in Matthew 10, verse 2. Adam Clark, it is worthy of notice that those who were Christ's apostles were his disciples first. To imitate, become disciplined, that men must first be taught of God before they can be sent of God. Uh, it just establishes the principle for us. Okay, so what are they about to go and do? These 12 Jesus sent out 
And he commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he sends them out. Jesus is touring around the Galilee. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's helping people who are needy be healed. And he sends these 12 out as a conscious expansion of his work. Now the work of Jesus is actually being done by many, not just by him himself. And he commands them. David Guzik, the word which is used in the Greek for Jesus commanding his men or giving them orders is interesting and illuminating. It is the word paragelain. This word in Greek has four special usages. Number one, it is the regular word of military command. Number two, it is the word used of calling one's friends to one's help. Number three, it is the word which is used of a teacher giving rules and precepts to his students. And number four, it is the word which is regularly used for an imperial command. And he says to them, so in other words, very strong command, do not go the way of the Gentiles. Now, this is the pattern of the gospel. It is for Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It's for the Jew first and also for the Greek and then the Gentile. So later, the gospel, the good news, is going to go to the Samaritans. It's going to go to the Gentiles, but it had to begin with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. D.A. Carson, that Jesus felt it necessary to mention the Samaritans at all presupposes John chapter 4. The disciples happy in the exercise of their ability to perform miracles, might have been tempted to evangelize the Samaritans because they remembered Jesus' success there. He says, no, don't want you to go where it's easy. I want you to go where it's hard. I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God's intention was to reach the whole world, but he wanted to begin with Israel first. And there was certainly enough work to do among the lost sheep of the house of Israel to keep the 12 busy until God directly commanded them to expand their ministry. Uh, now, significantly, Jesus still called the Jewish people the house of Israel, even though they lost their Jewish state many decades before this time. Why? Because God himself saw them as Israel. Even when there wasn't a political entity known as Israel, God saw them as Israel. So who were the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Well, in a sense, they all were. Because Isaiah 53 prophesied, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But in another sense, there were also the lost sheep that had been abused and, and neglected by their spiritual leaders of the day, the scribes, the priests, the Pharisees. And there is a sense in a way of the prophecy of Jeremiah being filled from chapter 50, verse 6, my people have been lost sheep and their shepherds have led them astray. So because so many people were spiritually neglected, Jesus says, I need you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. Very important. And as you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, kingdom of heaven, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we were told that Jesus' message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. And the disciples then are bringing the same message that Jesus preached. They're simply just bringing it over a much larger area than Jesus could cover by himself. Now, we could also surmise that they were going to repeat the same things they'd been taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because that message actually 
was all about Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven should be like. Now, interestingly enough, there is no mention of them preaching in the synagogues. Uh, they were only ever scourged in the synagogues. We're going to read about that later on in, in chapter 10. But this was a commandment for them to go house to house in open fields, street preaching kind of witnessing a ministry. So what did he ask them to do? Verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Uh, let's, let's deal with the first half of that verse first. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. The disciples both had a message to preach and a power to display. So in this, they were really followers of their master who had been given from their master what they needed to do. And the authority that the disciples had to raise the dead is actually a remarkable authority, if you think about it. But the later fulfillment of it was recorded in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 20. And there were no doubt other unrecorded instances that happened of, of raising the dead. Now, we have no evidence that such a thing was common or that this authority has also been permanently withdrawn from us. And it's wise for Christians today, I think, to both believe in God's power to do such miracles, to raise the dead, but we also should not be too quick to believe unsubstantiated reports of such miracles or demand them. Okay, let's, let's read the second half of verse 8 and then I'm going to read down to verse 15. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or that city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus charged his disciples nothing for teaching them. He charged them nothing financially for teaching them, setting them free, or giving them a job. He expected them to also then give ministry with the power he had given to them for free. It's the foundational principle for the commands that are about to follow, which is that they should not provide neither gold nor silver or copper in the money belts. They should expect God to meet their needs without taking undue concern for their own needs. Uh, furthermore, they should expect that God would normally meet their needs through the inspired hospitality of others, that others would, would realise, oh, we need to put these people up. We need to take care of them. We need to feed them. We've got to give them what they need. Matthew Poole, our Saviour designed to give them, the disciples, an experience of the providence of God and to teach them to trust in it. Um. You have to understand, Jesus knew 
their Jewish background of the disciples. He knew how they'd been raised. He knew what they believed if they were about to go out somewhere. William Barclay says this, Jesus was once again speaking words which were very familiar to a Jew. The Talmud tells us that no one is to go to the Temple Mount without a staff, without shoes, without girdle of money, or with dusty feet. So the idea was that when a man entered the temple, he must make it quite clear that he had left everything which had to do with trade and business and worldly affairs behind him. So Jesus says, all the things that you have learnt, that's what you need to now go and do. Just the same way as when you enter the temple. Just treat the world like the temple now and go into it because I've got a job for you to do. And a, worth, a worker is worthy of his food. So when they came among others, they were to be workers among them. So they're going to work for the people in the towns and cities they went into, both spiritually and practically. So you can imagine them preaching and teaching the word of God, praying for people, seeing them healed, and then saying, hey, how can I help you paint the barn? Uh, can I help you do some construction work? Can I help you with, with the farm animals? Even though the 12 could expect their needs to be met through the people they served, they were never to require their needs to be met as payment. The foundational principle was this, freely you have received, freely now you give. So Jesus says something interesting about worthy households, about whether a household is worthy and if it's not worthy. Those who didn't receive the disciples, Oh, sorry, who did receive the disciples, could expect to be blessed. Those places that refused them could be expected to be treated as Gentile cities. Shake off the dust from your feet. Um, which meant that those cities were in serious danger of judgment. John A. Trapp, two sure signs of reprobate goats. One, not to receive Christ's ministers to house and to harbour, accounting themselves happy in such entertainment, and number two, not to hear their words in the first place. Jesus knew that they would go into some households where their words would be received and where they would be welcome and they would be treated to hospitality. In other places, they would be rejected. Their words wouldn't even be listened to, let alone would they be given any food and taken care of. And so my observation for today is this. The disciples' job and a disciple's job is not done yet. <laughs> um, we still have a harvest to go out to. The disciples of the 12, they still have a job to do, and they've got an eternal job to do. It's going to be when Jesus comes back. See, there's always work to be done when you're a disciple. And then my second observation is from John A. Trapp's commentary, if you like. Don't be a goat. Uh, if you know a minister who has a need, meet the need. God has made you aware of that need so you can meet it. He hasn't made you aware of it so you can wonder who else is going to meet it. You know who it is is a minister in your life that has a need, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you know somebody who has that need, go meet that need. don't have to exceed it. You don't have to be extravagant. Just go meet the need. That's what Jesus said we should do whenever a disciple of his gets sent our way.
Heavenly Father, help us to just respond in ways that you have called us to. Help us just to listen. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that we realize that we are called to work hard. We're called to do what you've called, what you've laid on our hearts to do, and that our jobs are not done yet, and that we would just get about doing your work. Father, if we're called to host those who are doing your work, I pray that we would be wonderful hosts. We would show hospitality. Father, if we have those who are uh, workers for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have a need and we're aware of those needs, help us to meet those needs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.